everybody. Welcome to Roger's List. This is the podcast where we are watching every single one of Roger Ebert's great movies. My name is Steve Gutling. And I'm Michaela Nicholson. And you know what? I'm going to try not to sing. I was going to come up with a weird little dumb song uh, parody to, to uh, start this episode off. And you know what? I want subscribers. I, I want them to uh, want to listen to the show. I want to hear you show. sing. I could have danced all night. You know, it might happen at some point. We're halfway all drinking. Through. Halfway through. Halfway through. We'll, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll wait till intermission. I mean, it's halfway through the movie anyway, so it makes Pretty sense. Much, yeah, yeah, yeah. We are joined by our very first guest on Rogers Yay! List. We're very excited. Of course, it has to be Lindsay Pennington. How you doing, Lindsay? Why does it have to be me? Because it's you. You gotta be here. Oh, that's exciting. Yay! For, yay. for me. <laughs> Lindsay's a regular on our other show, Ultra Sixty Four, and uh, we're just delighted to have her here. Today we are going to be talking about one of the great movie musicals of the '60s, My Fair Lady. But first, let's look back. On last week's episode, the great movie musical of the 90s, JFK. <laughs> Back and to the left. Yes. Uh, so, um, I wish it was a musical. Actually, Maybe it would have been better. I kind of want to see it as a musical <laughs> now that I just said it. Um, so we're going to take a look at uh, Roger Ebert's essay. Uh, Michaela, did you have a chance to read it? I did, yeah. Uh, what did you think of this one? Because this was a movie we were both a little... Uh, not thrilled about. Yeah, like, right. I, I will say I liked this essay yeah. better than I liked the essay that we read last week. The the In Cold Blood mm-hmm. essay was kind of a little more straightforward, and I think he does a good yeah. job of explaining his reasons for liking this movie. Yeah, I loved the like the fact motif of like movies shouldn't be fact. And then the end where he wraps it up and he says, like, this movie captures the feeling, and that's the most factual thing it could have done. I was like, oh, yeah. It's like, I... I get that like right off the bat yeah it's one of the first sentences of the of the essay is i have no opinion on the factual accuracy of this movie mm-hmm. which uh was kind of a sticking point for us i think we were kind mm-hmm. of bumping into the fact that mm-hmm. they this played so fast and loose with the reality mm-hmm. of the assassination yeah. in a dangerous way in a dangerous too. way and uh yeah but he says i believe as a general principle films are meant our films are the wrong medium for fact fact belongs in print films are about emotions how, how, what do you think of that statement I don't, I, lo, I mean, well, I, he, he qualified. He said as a general principle and not as a rule, you know, like, which I can see. I think uh, film is kind of the medium of, of uh, fantabulation. Of, right. of, but, uh, like, Roger Ebert has certainly seen, like, the thin blue line. Sure. And, like, I don't know, that's the film that came to mind when I read that sentence. Right. Like, a movie that where the, the facts were so incredibly important, they had a real-life effect on things. Right. Yeah. You know, so... Yeah, I, I don't think that's entirely uh, accurate, but I can understand why he would apply it to this movie because this movie does feel like a fantasy in a certain ways, you know. Mm-hmm. And I like the parallel he draws between the editing and the way that they're discussing the movie because he said everything's overlaid because the news never stops coming in, the, mm-hmm. the theories never stop coming in, yeah. and it becomes almost white noise after a while. Yeah, and that aged well. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think I still think the editing and cinematography is great, and mm-hmm. I think that's a very compelling, entertaining movie. He does argue that the film is largely about Garrison's intensity and his mm-hmm. obsession, mm-hmm. and I think that's something that did not come through in Costner's performance at all. I think he, yeah. 
I think we needed to see a man kind of losing it, and yeah. we never really saw that with Kevin Costner. It's interesting because it came through in the editing and like the frenetic sort of like craziness of all that, but it did not come through in his performance. No, which was very like. It was it was even keeled. It was lots of just like listening and kind of flat intonations, you know. And even when his marriage is seemingly falling apart, you know, it's like mm-hmm. it, you're you're not really feeling the the weight of his obsession necessarily. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so far, kind of interesting to see that we're not straight up agreeing with uh, Roger Ebert on all these essays. Um, yeah, I will say I did like the sentence. Um, I want moods, tones, fears, imaginings, whims, speculations, nightmares. Yeah, that yeah. was a pretty nice thesis. Statement. It was very well done. I liked him telling the story about uh, Walter Cronkite uh, mm-hmm. chastising him, which <laughs> yeah. is uh, I, that's a funny image. It's a funny image. <laughs> 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 anyway, that was JFK. Go back and listen to our episode on that last week. Uh, hopefully some of you are watching along with us to make mm-hmm. it extra fun. But today we are talking about a different movie. We are talking about My Fair Lady from 1964. Uh, Michaela, have you seen this movie? I had never seen this you movie. You had never seen I it had, before. Like, I had the vinyl when I was a kid, but I didn't have a vinyl player. So I yeah. just bought the record at like a secondhand store and I had it on my wall. So I was a big poser. That's awesome. <laughs> Lindsay, what's your history with this movie? I honestly can't remember the first time I ever saw it. Okay, but you've, um, you've seen it for years. Multiple times. Yeah, Did your yeah, parents yeah. show it to you? Um, I don't know. Actually, you know what I think? Um, it's all coming back to me now. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think I maybe first watched it with my best friend growing up in Saudi Arabia. Okay. Um, so, yes, we watched My Fair Lady in Saudi Arabia. S- super sacrilegious, just mm. saying. Yeah. Um, and now her family lives in New Hampshire. And I think that was something that we did... And we tried to do every once in a while, but after a certain point of rewatching it, we could only get halfway through it mm-hmm. before I fell asleep. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I, I really mean, it's do. Long. It's long. I enjoy it, mm-hmm. but there were definitely, when you watch it often enough, you're like, I know what's happening. And mm-hmm. there are also, I mean, not to get into this too early, but any scene that Audrey Hepburn isn't in is kind of boring. I mean, well, okay, I, I think I'll dispute you on Ooh, that. I will too. Because there, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, <laughs> for me personally, I love musicals. I've always loved musicals ever since I was a kid. Uh, I first discovered this movie uh, at the library when I was like a very young kid. Uh, I would take this one home along with like all the other 60s classics so Sound of Music and and uh, Camelot and uh, all these Oklahoma was a big one for us West Side Story was big for us and uh, yeah, me and my sister would just kind of watch these all the time wow. and put them on a loop and sing along with them. Cool. And uh, Did you do dances? I didn't do the dances. <laughs> no, I didn't do the dances. But uh, my mom used to trot me out to do the Officer Krupke bit from West Side Story because I knew how to do it when I was very young and she thought it was a cute party trick. Aww. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. So this, this movie was really big in my rotation when I was younger. I've seen it many, many times, but it's been probably a decade maybe more since i last watched this uh so it was definitely interesting to revisit one of the first things you'll i i noted about this movie is it is impossible to find yeah. it is like this movie i was gonna say i heard you had it overnighted yeah i had to have the dvd overnighted <laughs> well, I, I rented it from filmless truth we should have just watched it together. Uh, we should have because i think you got the copy that i was looking for oh, so like shit, yeah sorry yeah yeah but like well and you asked if i had it 
And then you didn't want to borrow it. Well, you 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 were too slow to answer. You didn't get back. To I me, answered so I in like twenty it. minutes. I know that things move fast around here. Oh wow! This is podcast quarantine. The quarantine is supposed to slow things down, Stephen. Not me. I started a second podcast. Woohoo! Oh man. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Weirdly, not available anywhere. You can rent it on Amazon or Google no, Play or anything. No, you can't rent it on Amazon. Uh, you can't buy it on Amazon. You can't. Uh, it's crazy. Yeah, it's not available is on it, any streaming service anywhere. Even the weird. Kind of like ownership thing copyright I, th- I think so i'm wondering if the estate um, of learner and low like, i don't know if this has anything to do with anything but they just did like a restored theatrical run of it last year oh nice. did. so they may have that might have been an incentive to pull it from all streaming services if they were having it in theaters again oh that's possible that's definitely possible i know they did a, a blu-ray like restoration of this back in like ni- 2014 mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of the last time a new version of, th- of this was released, but it only exists in physical media. And I find that kind of crazy. Like Interesting. almost nothing anymore exists in just physical media unless Yay. it's kind of an obscure thing. Yeah. But this movie is not obscure. This is one of the biggest box office hits ever. This won how many Academy Awards? Eight. Yeah. Eight Academy Awards, including Best Picture. Oh. Like this is not an obscure movie. Mm-hmm. So I just find it weird. I, I worry yeah. that like... That's kind of a, a paranoia I've had about like as we go more and more digital yeah. that lots of losing like movies. we're gonna lose movies yeah. we're gonna Video lose stores. movies that shouldn't be lost video stores exactly that's Scarecrow why I love does, them. Scarecrow uh, does mail delivery now. Oh, do they really? Mm-hmm. Oh, awesome, awesome. Well, let's talk a little bit some of the some of the facts and figures around My Fair Lady. This was released October twenty first, nineteen sixty four, directed by George Cukor, and it stars Audrey Hepburn, Rex Harrison, Stanley Holloway, Wilfred Hyde White, and Gladys Cooper. It was nominated for 12 Oscars, and it won eight of them. That's including Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Director, and pretty much all the technical awards. Shockingly, Audrey Hepburn not even nominated. Uh, but uh, uh, Stanley Holloway and Gladys Cooper were both nominated for their supporting performances in this. Huh. The the Gladys Cooper one I don't really get. She, Which one did he? She plays she play? Henry Higgins' mother. Oh, she and like, was nominated for an Oscar. She was nominated. Like mm. I kind of always forget Out she's of in this all movie. All the performances. That yeah. seems like an odd choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as Stanley Holloway, totally get. He's great. He's Eliza's dad, and oh, he's okay. he's delightful. Yeah. Um, so a little bit about George Cukor. Uh, he's one of the great American like journeyman filmmakers of early Hollywood. He made 62 movies mm. between 1930 and 1981, and several of them are like Stone Cold classics. We got Adam's Rib. We got Born Yesterday. We got The Philadelphia Story. Oh, we wow. got A Star is Born. We got The Women and Gaslight, which Ooh. is uh, a really great thriller that gave us the term gaslighting. If you ever mm. wonder what that term comes from, mm-hmm. watch the movie Gaslight. Um, so he was also one of the original directors of Gone with the Wind, uh, but he was fired very early, uh, by producer David O. Selznick because he worked too slowly, apparently. So, but I think that, um, so that's actually come up recently in, what's his name's new show, Hollywood. Oh, okay. Uh, Ryan Ryan Murphy's show. I hate Ryan Murphy. I know. (laughs) He, He has different i think whatever he gives as an idea people just go for yeah, yeah yeah and so he's just like yeah this 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 but hollywood is actually an interesting show and they use him as a character in the show oh george cooper which, made, which nice. made me actually look up a little bit more about him and um they actually i always forget who played scarlett johansson oh wait no not scarlett johansson scarlett o'hara oh uh, vivian lay yeah yeah she apparently still went to him for advice yeah. after he was let off the show off the movie he was he was actually i mean we just talked about truman capote a couple weeks ago he's he's kind of in that same world he was 
like openly gay in the way that men could be openly gay in the 50s, which is just that everyone kind of knows, but you don't really say it out loud. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or they refer to him as a confirmed bachelor or something like that. But he was um, kind of a a hub of the social scene, you know, and he was friends with all of these major Hollywood figures. He's one of those guys who probably has a million great stories, you know, if were he's still alive. Mm -hmm. Uh, He did pass away in 1983. Mm -hmm. Um, So... A couple of other important people we need to talk about in relation to this movie are Lerner and Lowe. So that's lyricist Alan J. Lerner and composer Frederick Lowe. Um, these are two composers that are kind of often mentioned in the same breath as like Rodgers and Hammerstein, as like the great musical duos of the, the 50s, 60s of, uh, of Broadway. Steve, were you ever in any musicals? Yeah, yeah I've been you, quite a few. Well, oh, yeah, yeah, I saw one. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was in, uh, I've never done a Learner and Low, but I've been in Spamalot, I've been mm-hmm, in Anything right. Goes, I've been in La Caja Full, I've been in others, probably? White Christmas, I've been in White oh, Christmas. Yeah. Oh, wow. I've been in Damn Yankees and How to Dang. Succeed in Business. You're like a musical, like, I'm uh, a musical guy. Yeah, no, no, I'm, 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 uh, I have, I'm a man of no talent, but I <laughs> occupy space well. So, yeah. But yeah, so uh, the story goes that uh, when a 24-year-old learner met the 41-year-old Lowe while the two were idly chatting in line waiting for the bathroom at a New York club. And they just kind of got into a conversation and they found out they were Aww. both working to be Broadway composers. meet someone in line at a New York bathroom. Right? Yeah, yeah. And have that not be like seedy or anything. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, oh, I made my best friend And then start a musical piss. career together. Yeah, exactly. I mean, from there, they, their partnership lasted 30-something years. Um the two men were opposite in a lot of ways. So Lowe was an Austrian immigrant and was known for being very serious and cynical and kind of quiet. Mm-hmm. While Lerner was from New York, he was fast talking, he was impetuous, he was brash. He was married like eight times. Whoa. Like he kind of, uh, he, he got around. I would watch the buddy pick, the buddy biopic about these. Well, things. that's the thing. It may not even be all that interesting of a biopic because apparently they just got along great. Ah. Like nobody ever had a bad <laughs> You might word. need to invent some drama. Like they stayed pleasant, happy <laughs> friends until the end of their career just producing success after success they balanced each other out um their first big broadway show was called days before spring which was a very mild hit it was politely received by critics uh but it wasn't until 1951 with the debut of brigadoon that the pair found their first major hit that was later adapted into a movie with gene kelly and sid charisse uh she of the greatest legs of all time Mm. And uh, it's probably best known for interesting the song, uh, Almost Like Being in Love. So if you know that song, what a day this has been, what a rare movie. You know it. Yeah, you know it. See, I'm saying it. It was happening. It was happening. We knew knew it was going to. It was happening. I can't resist. Um, So after that, Lerner and Lowe really couldn't miss. Uh, They followed up that success with Paint Your Wagon, Camelot, Gigi, which itself would be adapted into a Best Picture winning movie. Mm. And uh, My Fair Lady debuted on Broadway in 1956. Apparently, they didn't have a title for the show until just a few weeks before it opened. They were kind of tentatively calling it Fanfaroon, hmm. which I don't know what that means. Is that I don't either. a word in another language? I, I have no idea. Hmm. I have no idea. But uh, they went with My Fair Lady because they felt that Fanfaroon is too close to Brigadoon, hmm. and My Fair Lady was a title they hated the least. <laughs> um, so they never fully liked it. But that show went on to become their very biggest hit. It won six Tonys that year, and it became, for its time, the longest-running musical ever staged. Uh, So Lerner and Lowe's very last collaboration was uh, the 1974 live-action adaptation of The Little Prince, which was recently restored and uh, uploaded to the Criterion channel. So that was just added to that. You can check it out. And Lerner died in 1986. Lowe died two years after that. Um, But interesting partnership. Uh, They did a lot of great stuff. Um... 
let's jump into the movie a little bit. I'm going to go back and forth because I've got facts about Audrey Hepburn yeah. and a bunch of people. I will of say, this, this doesn't really have anything to do with the movie itself, but I watched this in an empty movie theater, um, and I... I, my tradition is I go get like a Starbucks like sandwich and coffee, and then I go to the movie theater and I pop in the DVD and I just watch it by myself, and it's really nice. That's amazing. But I was in, so I started the movie and I was in this dark room and I was trying to get the sriracha packet open, but I couldn't <laughs> see, and I was squeezing it, and I squeezed it so hard that it splattered all over my face and hair <laughs> and shirt, and I was just covered in sriracha, and this movie was starting, and I didn't know what to do, and I was like, fuck. What's going on? And then I had to like run to the bathroom and clean up and then go back in and start it over. So, so my, my fair lady, zero stars. <laughs> yeah. It had been put sriracha I in mean, my eyes. If you had run to the bathroom first thing, you would have gotten through all the beginning credits That's and true. got back just yeah. in time. I did come back and like the flowers were still going. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, okay, I think I don't think I've missed too much. Just when, when I was credits. younger, I used to be always so annoyed with like the entourages and the intermissions mm-hmm. that would be on VHS tapes. And I'm just like, why do they have this? I have to mm-hmm. fast forward through. It. Now you must I'm going to the VHS tapes that had two tapes. Yeah, 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 the yeah. T- the double tapes, yeah, absolutely. And now I'm just like every movie should have an intermission. Yes. Like if it's over 2 hours there should be an intermission, Ugh. give you a timer with like 2 minutes to go pee. Yeah. There and... was articles about Avengers Endgame on what was the best time in the movie to go to the bathroom if you had to. Oh, there's a website. There yeah. should you should not be allowed to do that. You should have intermissions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I I hope more and more people start I mean they were recently praising the uh, the version of Hamilton that went up on Disney Plus because oh. it does have like a huh. one minute intermission in the middle yeah. with a countdown clock. Yeah, you know exactly how but, long you uh, have to go pee. That was pretty. I mean, it was kind of counterproductive because it was released like for home viewing, so we all could have paused it at any point. Yeah, yeah, but. it's true. <laughs> but then you know you can pause it during an intermission because you're like, oh, this is a good stopping point. <laughs> it's literally telling me I can stop That's here. True. Yeah, it won't interrupt your flow. Yeah. take a breath. Take a breath. <laughs> Michaela, do you have a pithy one sentence uh, summary yeah. of this movie? I do. What do you got? All right. Sorry. I just came up with this on my walk, so don't judge it too harshly. Oh, no. Go ahead. My fair lady, a grammar guy bets he can turn a homeless woman into a high society lady and wins? (laughs) Question mark, question mark, question mark. (laughs) That should be an interrobang at the end. Question mark, exclamation point. (laughs) And wins? (laughs) I like that. Yeah, that's uh, that's a very concise Mm -hmm. way to put it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this musical is an adaptation of Pygmalion, which is a 1913 stage play by George Bernard Shaw, itself based on a Greek myth. Lindsay, Greek myth expert, you want to tell us a little bit about Pygmalion? So it's the Greek myth where a guy wants to be in love and he creates this statue, mm. a sculpture, yeah. if you will, with body parts and everything, just like Greek sculptures tend to have. Sure. Although this was a woman, so he could shape it the way he wanted to. Yeah. And eventually it comes to life. And that's uh, essentially what happens here, except in reverse, because I feel like once he has his way with her, she becomes much less lively and interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Once he's kind of shaped her into this high society woman, she becomes very dull. Yeah, I miss the Cockney accent. I do too, yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. she does too. It was jarring yeah. at first, but then I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the uh, so this movie stars uh, Rex Harrison as Professor Henry Higgins, who is a speech expert. Uh, loves the human language and claims to be able to 
uh, make anybody into high society. He can take anybody from anywhere, and through his methods, he can train them to be members of he high can society. She's all that them. He can she's all that them. <laughs> and so, uh, like a regular, she's all that. They choose the most attractive human person alive. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't uh, even wear glasses. Who just has some dirt on her face, <laughs> and uh, and they they bet. So the, uh, uh, Audrey Hepburn playing Eliza Doolittle, who's a common street uh, flower girl. And so Henry Higgins and his friend Colonel Pickering uh, decide to have a friendly wager that he can turn Eliza Doolittle into high society princess within six months. But the thing is, they're joking, and she takes it seriously. Right. Yeah, she takes it seriously. She comes forward because she decides she wants more out of her life. You know, mm-hmm. she's she figures if she can speak a little more clearly, then she can get a job in like a fancy flower shop instead of selling them from a basket on the street. Mm-hmm. So she has her ambitions, and that's why she kind of comes to them. But uh, she Higgins kind of immediately turns her into a prisoner. Yeah. Um, that, that scene, I don't know, that scene where I think it's supposed to be played for laughs, but where they're trying to give her a bath. Um, maybe it's because I have friends with, that, like, work with homeless people. Mm. But, like, it, it sort of rode me the wrong way that, like, she was clear. I mean, maybe I'm giving this too much, thinking too much into this, but she was clearly, like, not having a good time and like nervous and scared and the way she screamed and just like the chaos of that scene of them trying to take all all her clothes off like rubbed me the wrong way as like this is horrifying and I think it's yeah. being played for laughs. Well it is then but I also I mean okay look I don't know too much about 1912 London mm-hmm. like but I have to imagine she'd taken a bath in her life, yeah. right? Like they're trying to imply just, she'd never taken yeah, like a bath. Yeah, like she was like an animal that had never seen. She was like, what's this? Do you like wash your clothes in here? She'd never seen it. She was so terrified of like a bowl of hot water. Mm-hmm. I mean, her physicality in the beginning of this movie is pretty funny because she's she's kind of acting like a feral cat. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like she, she'll she come in and be affectionate, but then she's so on her mm-hmm. hackles the entire time. Yeah. Anytime anybody talks about her, she's like, oh, <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> well, See, I threw my voice off. The the best quote is that I'm a good girl. I am. Yeah, yeah. Like constantly in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I'm wondering about the context of that. It's like I think people are kind of assuming that she's a prostitute or that mm-hmm. she's on her way to prostitution because of her status and because of her beauty. Like, yeah, her selling doesn't... the flowers seemed like just a wholesome sort of packaging of like what it represented which yeah. was something a little bit well and I think I think the thing is that she's tried to avoid that mm-hmm. because that's such a common thing for her class and for her, like what she grew up in yeah and so like even like when her father believes that possibly like there's so much insinuation that there is some kind of sexual prostitution to it like when the, the father's doing his song and he comes by where she lives and, and the lady's like, oh, she didn't ask for no clothes. Mm. Like, there's a lot of insinuation. Yeah. yeah. Or when the two men are like, are your intentions honorable? And he's like, I would never fuck that thing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Shocking that they would include that line in 1964. <laughs> I would never fuck that thing. My mom never. was just like, <gasps> yes. Oh, shocking. <laughs> so yeah, that's the other important thing to note about Henry Higgins is that he is a lifelong confirmed bachelor bachelor and a total misogynist pig Mm -hmm. he uh he barely thinks of women as the same species as him which 
is the character. You know, it's 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 a character choice. Like, I don't really feel like the movie's imposing that too yeah, much. It's almost like, satir- that. like it's, it's like it's satirical. It's how pushed very far. He's so pompous, and I mean, there's that whole song. Why can't a woman be more yeah. like a man? That comes back, like that's reprised for some reason. Yeah. Right, but he, he it, what it comes around to is why can't a woman be more like me? Mm-hmm. Which is just reflecting his own uh, pompousness well, more and, than and anything there's else. A, that whole idea that. You see only his perspective for so much of the movie yeah. that you think that other people think like he does. Yeah, yeah. But anytime he's actually out in society, when he's with his mother, when he's at the races, when he's at the ballroom, he's the oddball. Yes. Mm-hmm. He actually makes a scene because he laughs out loud or because he's not dressing appropriately, and yet he's trying to pass someone off or get someone to be passed off as royalty or as perfection when he's not, and he thinks right. he is. Yeah, he's so utterly convinced of his superiority that he can pass judgment on everybody and say who's acting properly and who's not, and he can kind of do whatever he wants because he's Henry fucking Niggins, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, he can do it if he wants to. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harrison's performance in this, I think, is very fun. Uh, he's clearly having a great time. He originated this role on Broadway mm-hmm. uh, alongside uh, the original Eliza, Julie Andrews. Mm-hmm. And uh, Harrison was convinced that Julie Andrews was going to be cast in the movie, as did as was Julie Andrews. Mm-hmm. And everybody was very upset when she wasn't cast, and they mm-hmm. cast Audrey Hepburn instead. Harrison uh, loudly protested because he felt that you know because Audrey Hepburn came up in the society scene, you know she was the daughter of nobles, you know she's mm-hmm. very well educated and delicate and, and beautiful. He's like, there's no one, no way anyone's going to believe her as someone who came from the street. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then later he recanted and he said he, he thanked both her and Julie Andrews in his Oscar acceptance speech mm-hmm. and he said that working with her was a delightful experience. Do you think the rivalry between Julie Andrews and Audrey Hepburn was mostly like in good spirits or do you think it was? It, it was. It, it was, um, from what I read, Julie Andrews did not hold any ill will against Audrey Hepburn at all because she was not the one lobbying for this part. It was just mm-hmm. kind of foisted on her. Uh-huh. You know, she wasn't trying to undercut anybody Aww. and Julie Andrews is wow. a class actor. She knows that. We love an unproblematic queen. <laughs> love it. Absolutely. I think, I think there were also rumors that Audrey Hepburn asked if she turned down the role, would Julie Andrews get it? Right. And they said no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah, they yeah. didn't think that she was a movie star. They thought she was a stage star. Yeah. Uh, Sound of Music had not broken it. That would be... Or was Mary Poppins her debut film? or Sound? No, Sound of Music was because Mary Poppins was the following year. But I think so, Mary Poppins was what made her more accessible to people. That's where she won her Oscar. Yeah, um, yeah but The Sound of Music is still one of the wow. three so highest grossing movies Andrews ever. happy that Julie Andrews is still with us. Oh, man, yeah. May she live forever. She's amazing. <laughs> yeah. um, I guess that's a good time to talk about Audrey Hepburn a little bit mm-hmm. because she's a major, major force in this movie and just a major force in culture. Mm-hmm. And shockingly, I was going through the list. I think this is the only movie of hers on this list. Aww. So this is our only chance to talk about no the great at Tiffany's, no Audrey charade. Hepburn. No, which I would put Charade on the list, honestly. Yeah. Charade is so Charade. fun. Uh, I'm not as crazy about Breakfast at Tiffany's, um, but, you know, maybe... If, I could, if we could erase, like, certain Rooney. scenes, maybe I could go back to it, but... I, I still remember the experience of watching that movie for the first time and being like, what the fuck? Um, so, like... It's really, uh, that was really upsetting. But a little bit about Audrey Hepburn. I think she's arguably like one of the most beautiful humans who have ever lived. Like objectively from any kind of like uh, materialistic standpoint, like she's a radiant 
film presence and I think that's why there's still all this mystique around her yeah she's um, like Marilyn Monroe but without like the tragic ending right yeah exactly exactly so Hepburn was born and raised in high society she was the daughter of nobles and she grew up traveling all around Europe and the East Indies and in between her travels she studied ballet and she studied theater uh, she scored some early work as a chorus girl in West End Productions in London, um, but it wasn't too long before she started catching the attention of casting agents. And uh, she was cast as the lead in Lerner and Lowe's Gigi uh, mm-hmm. on stage. She was the original Gigi, which are in massive acclaim, and that led to her film debut, playing opposite Cary Grant in the film Roman Holiday. Mm-hmm. So that movie, her film debut, earned her a Best Actress Oscar at the age of 24. Yeah. She also won a Golden Globe and a BAFTA for the same award. She did go on to EGOT, I believe. Oh, She really? has a full EGOT. Wow. Um, when did she get a Grammy? I'm forgetting exactly, but I think she, I'm pretty sure she does. Huh. But I'll, I'll double check on that. Uh, but from there, she starred in a string of big hits, including Funny Face, Sabrina, and Love in the Afternoon. And then she landed what is probably her most iconic role, and that is Holly Golightly in Breakfast at Tiffany's. The the movie that invented the little black dress, I think. Or yeah. at least perfected the little black dress. Yeah. Um, cigarette stick. Yeah, exactly. So post My Fair Lady, uh, her film career kind of slowed down a bit because she was focusing more and more on her charitable work with UNICEF. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wasn't but- she also a spy? I think you're thinking of Coco Chanel. I seem to remember reading, but I may be mistaken, that she also did some kind of double work spying efforts. That I have no idea about. Truthfully, I don't know a whole lot about Audrey Hepburn, so I need to check into that. Um, But yeah, so she uh, she got another Oscar nomination for the movie Wait Until Dark, which is a cool little thriller where she plays a blind woman being stalked by Alan Arkin. Wow. Uh, It's a fun movie. And uh, she worked intermittently in the 70s and 80s. Her final on-screen appearance was in Steven Spielberg's 1989 fantasy film Always, Mm -hmm. and she died in 1993 of appendix cancer at the age of 63, so still pretty young. Also, today, I was very surprised to learn uh, no relation at all to Catherine Hepburn. Right. Yeah. I thought it, in my head, I always had they were either sisters they? or they were cousins. No, not related in the least. Yep. They're just two prodigiously talented women with the same last name. Yep. Uh, so kind of crazy. <laughs> I'm also not related to Jack Nicholson. Just Are to you clear, clear up that rumor. Oh, man, the resemblance is like right there. Oh, shit. <laughs> we both have anger issues. <laughs> I am related to Horst Gundry, a uh, German sweet streeper. Probably street sweeper, sweet streeper. Yeah, no, he's really good at sweet streeping. Uh, he brings Meryl Streep out into the sweets, brings her out for candy anytime she wants some. So yeah, wow. street sweeping. Learning I have facts not about looked up that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't look up any of that. Uh, so yeah, uh, so yeah, Audrey Hepburn was an accomplished uh, theater actress and a, and a musician as well. But that is not her voice you're hearing for the majority yeah. of the singing in this. The voice that you're hearing is Marnie Nixon, who is one of kind of the secret weapons of classic Hollywood of this time. She was a uh, Broadway performer and an opera singer who had this kind of uncanny ability to mimic voices. And so she was always brought in to kind of dub over actresses if uh, they couldn't get the job done. She was basically Debbie Reynolds in Singing in the Rain. Yeah. Um, and so she she dubbed over the voice for Deborah Kerr in both An Affair to Remember and The King and I. Uh, she also did, uh, in addition to My Fair Lady, oh, what else did she do? A bunch of movies. Uh, West Side Story. She was Natalie Wood in West Side Story. Mm. She sang some of Marilyn Monroe's rangier parts and gentlemen prefer blondes. Wow. And today I learned that Marnie Nixon's real-life son wrote the theme song to The Golden Girls. Oh! 
<laughs> so there you go. Thank you for being a friend. Thank you for being a friend. That was like a '70s radio <laughs> wow, hit, and travel then down the road and back again. Yeah, I mean, your Amazing. heart is true. You're a pal. You're a confidant. Yeah, <laughs> all of that. Companion. But uh, the interesting thing here is that Hepburn did not know that she was going to be dubbed over. She thought that her singing was going to be in this entire movie. And she was very upset when she found out. Like, just kind of casually they revealed it to her that, like, in post-production, they've replaced almost all of her singing. And, uh, yeah, she was upset because she was proud of the work that she had done. And so she pledged from there on she was not going to do another uh, musical unless she was allowed to sing her own parts. That would be shitty to, like put in all that work in a film and like sing your heart out just to discover you had been dubbed over right yeah that's kind of that's how zach efron feels (laughs) what that which which movie did they do did they yeah i mean i'm sure he knew but i mean it was he's not in the second or third so oh that's not him no it's not him in the first one it is him oh i got it okay okay so he must have done some deals and all the millions of times i've seen those movies (laughs) i somehow never put that together when i and i realized watching my dvd copy that i got probably 10 years ago the special features have two songs where it's not audrey hepburn being dubbed yeah so like special features it's um wouldn't it be loverly uh-huh. which is one of my favorite songs yeah it's a fun one and the the whole concept was that she couldn't sing high enough for the original production of the music yeah she's like a low mezzo yeah yeah but i thought she actually did really really well in wouldn't it be loverly and they used just parts of it in the movie and then the rest of it's all marty nixon yeah the you, other you can hear she's she's in um just you wait that's yeah. audrey singing the entire time and she's great but and they then, wanted a coarser sound for that song and then the other song was one towards the end the show me the show uh-huh. me how you feel don't write mm-hmm. it don't it's that just, was my favorite song. Really? That's, really for me it's like the least memorable oh, oh. yeah and that one, Marnie Nixon, definitely in my book, did way better than Audrey Hepburn because it's a lot higher parts that oh, yeah. she couldn't she couldn't hit at all. Well, Marnie Nixon's got a very kind of Disney princess kind of high lilt, like early Disney princess kind of high lilt, you know. Yeah. Um, so I understand. Like, I think they were trying to project, I don't know what they were trying to put on her. I think the coarser voice worked better for the Eliza character, but I don't know. Maybe that's just me. But uh, let's talk a little bit about the songs because I'm having trouble thinking of another movie musical that has as many like triple A, like memorable all time classic songs, like kind of back to back to back. We got uh, Wouldn't It Be Loverly? We got Get Me to the Church on Time. We've got uh, The Rain in Spain Falls Mainly in the Plain. Mm-hmm. Why Can't a Woman Be More Like a Man? I've Grown Accustomed to Her Face. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Street Where You Live, which I've auditioned with many times. You like, have? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoa. That's like right in my range. Wow. And like, um, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's just back to back bangers in this movie. And I could have danced all night. I forgot about that oh, one. Oh, yeah. Like, that's so... the one that's in uh, Glee. <laughs> oh, yeah. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I gave up on Glee after a while. Fair. But uh, I don't know. What do you guys think of the music? Does it hold up? Is it still uh, is it still working for you after all these years? Or is it as a first time? Well, I guess you listen to the album a lot. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, on her wall, for sure. Yeah. yeah. On my wall. <laughs> um, there is a rhyme in Show Me that I really liked, and it's that Ain sound. Know, um, oh, instead of a gain? Yeah. Like, okay. Um, that I just thought was really fun. And I just kind of liked the lyrics of that song and the message of it. I also just sort of really wanted her to end up with that guy just to stick it to um, 
to Mr. Higgins. Yeah. Um, and, and I knew, I knew. Fred wet oatmeal. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, I found, I found the, the why can't a woman be like a man song, like frustrating at first and then silly and then frustrating again as a first time listener in 2020. Um, but yeah, I mean they were they were like certainly catchy. I guess I kind of wish I had seen it with an audience maybe sure. or like on the stage. Um, yeah, because I found myself drifting every now and then. Well, I, I guess we should talk a little bit about kind of the politics of this movie because we're this is a movie very much kind of based on uh, battle of the sexes kind of mythology of differences between men and women. It's also very heavily reliant on classism uh, and. I'm not look I don't want to review every movie as if like as, as it should be made now as if they could presage the future 50 years ago. I will say it just does make it a little hard to watch that this whole movie is kind of about a woman having her personality taken over and reshaped by a man mm-hmm. who she then falls in love with. Mm-hmm. I There's a power dynamic there that I find unsettling. So I, I agree with you to a very certain extent, mm-hmm. but to me what they feel towards each other isn't love like romantic it's i i kind of got an almost like bdsm level of like tension between them like that maybe it's not i don't know what do you think (laughs) i I, I think there's there's kind of a love hate thing going on i think it's more that they've come to and it never comes across and i think that's one of like when she's arguing with him about how he's treated her after she's helped him win this bet that like she put off to begin with like the one word that never comes across that i really want her to say is respect Mm -hmm. yeah but i do think that they respect each other and maybe they don't say it out loud but that's the thing that keeps them together is not love for like romantic reasons at all but see i don't think i don't think he respects her i really don't think he does i think i I think the like the the big kind of come to Jesus moment for Henry Higgins is that he kind of learns that he misses her when she's not around. He Mm -hmm. kind of learns that he might have feelings for her Mm -hmm. beyond what he thought he did. Mm -hmm. But he never treats her with respect. That's never, he never has that moment. His last line of the show is where the devil of my slippers? And he pulls the hat out. Like he's defiantly refusing to change because boys will be boys you know i think maybe one thing that keeps it from getting into like completely like this woman is like being used by these men is that she always seems to have power and like spunk and moxie and attitude about it like at the end after he says that she's like standing tall and she smiles and this like feels like something that she wants yeah Yeah. no i i get that there there are moments but I do really have a problem with the second act of this show. Like, mm-hmm. the first act just kind of clips along. It's so fun. Memorable mm-hmm. music, number after memorable number. Mm-hmm. Then the second half, once she's kind of been cured, quote-unquote, or converted or mm-hmm. fixed or whatever you want to call it, yeah. she loses, like, all of the spark of the character. So, mm-hmm. like, Eliza was this lively firecracker. She wouldn't take shit from anybody. Mm-hmm. And now she becomes this kind of... Demure. Brainwashed looking mannequin. You know, she's like incredibly beautiful and she's wearing these amazing outfits and like, mm-hmm. but the the spark is gone. And, and I I think another pass of the script, another little bit of uh, uh, context will kind of show that that's the point that mm-hmm. like forcing yourself to adhere to these high societal standards turns you into like an automaton, kind of turns you into something like this. I agree um, with that. I think she realizes that 
she's found what she was aiming for. She she got to her goal and realized she didn't want all of it. Well, that's the thing. Like her her agency kind of disappears in the second half. Like she she's never mentions like working in a flower shop again, mm-hmm. which it could just be her priorities have changed. Now Freddie wants to marry her, you know, now she's just mm-hmm. kind of in a marrying place rather than a working place. For you, what's the most emotional part of the movie? Um I mean, probably her, like, she she did have um, a little bit of an out, a breakout, or uh, an outbreak when um, they were congratulating Higgins on everything he did while she yeah, kind of... that scene was so frustrating. She's very, like, sadly in the back. She's literally been she, put, moved to yeah, the background. To me, that scene makes me cry every yeah. time I watch it. Because you watch her go further behind the piano, into the dark... And you can see her pulling at her gloves. She's getting anxious. Yeah. And while they're talking, even though they're in the forefront of the scene, she's actually the person or the, the part that everybody's watching. Yeah, yeah. And when she reacts to the whole, like, where are my slippers? And she's there crying on her own. I don't know. I I think that's her realizing, oh, look, I got everything that I went for. And screw it is not what I wanted and where am I actually supposed to go from here nobody said am I going to go back on the streets they told me I was going to live here for six months where am I going now do I get to keep this is it mine yeah I, I thought that was a very powerful scene yeah no and that were there were there are moments in that second half that come through like that and like the show me number you talked about like where she's she's breaking out a little bit of this ferocity but the final like revelation of the movie doesn't belong to her it belongs to higgins mm-hmm. like yeah, i it's the last song i'd be more interested in seeing how she's coming around to like being in love with him you know mm-hmm. like i'm more interested in seeing that because i don't know like higgins higgins doesn't need to change in this movie in any he? kind of significant way he doesn't need to like he even when he is like changing or coming around it's all subsurface you know he gets what he wants without having to give anything he also like never shows her like true sort of like respect no no and that like kind of bummed me out like i i felt like we needed more like for me to actually root for this whatever it is whether it's like a friendship or a romantic relationship i needed them to be more equal yeah and like I felt like right before, like, Speaks Mainly in the Plane, there was a moment where he was on the couch and he was looking at her and he was like, you can do this. And, like, I was like, yes! He's, like, softening. And then it... And then it just, he just went back to his, like, this bitch, blah, 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 Right. And, I mean, the prickliness is kind of what makes that character fun. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's no give and take, and the power dynamic is unbalanced. True, but, like, looking back on the movie, what in anything is actually going to want to make him change? That's the thing. Well, I mean, it should be that he's discovered that this person that he was kind of dismissing as this lower-class gutter snipe... It should have been him realizing that she's actually a person. Mm-hmm. I think at the end he realized he's in love with her, but he never actually comes around to respecting her humanity, mm-hmm. you know, or or uh, her her agency or her independence. Okay. I don't know. That's that's kind of where I came at it. Like, I think my viewing of this movie after having not seen it for years and years, I did I felt a little disappointed, and I'm starting to see. 
a little bit why it's fading in relevancy. Like, yeah. I kind of understand why like, it's not... Like, there's a reason why The Sound of Music replays on ABC yeah. Family and not this. Right. Well, like, this was on the AFI list in 1997, and then it wasn't on it again 10 uh, years later. Like, it was dropped. Mm-hmm. And I think this movie has kind of fallen out of favor over the years a little bit. And I'm just wondering if it's just because of this kind of retrograde stuff, you know... Do you is, think that this is... movie would fly today? No. Like, yeah. Well, I don't know. They were talking about... They were going to remake they it. They were going to remake it with Colin Firth and Keira Knightley. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think the only way it could work if it's being taken verbatim and none of, none of the like core stories changes if they really just lean into how silly like the main character's misogyny is to the yes. point of like, oh, we can laugh at this because it's so far of what we know and see today right and you know they i understand like they're rooted in this class system they're not looking to get out of it because this is their world like this is this is us 50 years later like looking back on the caste system and kind of poking fun at it Mm -hmm. so like i understand them not necessarily contextually trying to get out of this uh routine Mm -hmm. but i think because it was a musical in 1964, right? Based on 1912, right? Right, exactly. So, it's I think it's saying some stuff about class, and maybe I don't know. Maybe maybe it's unreasonable for me to want them to be a little more aggressive with that point. Mm-hmm. Like this is a very dry, like witty, funny movie. Mm-hmm. Also, it's just got some really interesting stylistic things going on. Two things that I wanted to point out were yeah. the scene at the beginning where they're pulling back from the street and the like the lines of people oh, yeah. stop and freeze. Like, I love yeah, that. I loved no, that. Great. And I also loved the horse race and just the entire like set around it and how it looked like it was in a big white void. Oh, yeah. yeah. And they all looked like paper dolls. Everyone's in black around. and white. Yeah. I thought those scenes were when like... When her hat black. was the only one with color in it. Yeah. 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 That was beautiful. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, the production design is amazing everything looks very stagey but in kind of like this magical way like you're you're at no point are you thinking oh i'm looking at a london street you're always thinking i'm looking at a really impressive set yeah but it's it's cool because of that and Mm -hmm. it's got that kind of dreamy quality to it Mm -hmm. um and just before we go completely (laughs) away from it i don't think we're supposed to ever really like henry higgins no, not necessarily. I mean, he's he's kind of uh, he's a lovable curmudgeon, I think is is kind of the trope that we're going for with yeah. him. Like he's he's heavily flawed and he makes no apologies for it. But we're still supposed to kind of like him because he's funny and he's smart. I think um, we're supposed to be entertained by him. It's the Steve Guntley zone that we call it. Yeah, yeah <laughs> no, yeah. we like you. I don't think you're supposed you. to really no. like. You Henry don't think Higgins. women are objects? I think you're supposed to look at Henry Higgins <laughs> and be like, okay, this is really not what you're supposed to be like. Yeah, yeah. Like, how she reacts to him, that's definitely her own prerogative and a, you know, a thing of the time. Yeah. But I don't think you're supposed to like his character. Yeah, yeah. And you could you could argue that uh, he's supposed to be kind of a, a point of jest for modern audiences. Although, yeah. I don't think that would have come across in 1964, like, when the culture was still very much yeah. about, like... I think men's it would have been like, versus women's like roles. a little silly. Like I can picture my parents who are both like big time misogynists kind of like looking at it and being like, ha ha ha, yeah. women are objects and right. subservient to their husbands. <laughs> but like, 
like it's a little bit too close to home. I, I think that's what would happen if there were a modern uh, film remake of this. Like, I think that is something that would become more clear is is that Higgins is kind of a ridiculous figure. Yeah, and especially in the age of like hashtag boss bitch kind of feminism yeah. that Disney has adopted. And like it just there's, there would need to be some sort of tweaking to give it mass appeal. Right. Yeah. 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 So. But I mean, at the same time, if you put aside all of this context, if you if you put aside kind of the problematic elements of the story, there's a joyous mm-hmm. kind of element to this. Like this, it's a very buoyant, happy movie. The stakes are pretty low for like a three hour plus movie. Like mm-hmm. this isn't world changing stuff. But I mean, the songs are so witty and, mm-hmm. and memorable and catchy. Like you'll catch yourself singing along to it. And so at the end of the day, that's kind of what a musical is supposed to do for you. You know, like we can we can debate like the themes and we can expect better themes from like more modern productions and things like that. But this does convey that joy of, of just kind of spontaneously breaking into song and dance. Mm-hmm. So that's something that I still think really works for it. Mm-hmm. I could hold my dress up and put one arm around somebody's waist and I feel like I would enjoy it. <laughs> OK. All right. <laughs> I mean, that's your own personal time. You can do what you want, but, you know. I want to dance like they do, okay? (laughs) You want to dance all night. It's happening. I want to be able to stay up past 11 p.m. It's been a while. Yeah. Yeah, They stay up really late in this movie, like 3 a.m. And then they go out. Oh, yeah, the songs. I love the songs that the staff do. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they're always sympathizing with Henry Higgins. How many people Mm -hmm. does he have working in that house? I think five. That's crazy. Oh, yeah, I did like that line. (laughs) The staff is like, oh, the poor guy never eats. And then it cuts to him like having a sip of tea and like a biscuit oh and they're something. talking yeah. about like the the tarts oh you know who really likes the tarts and she's like i want i want them yeah wow yeah that's interesting the bird. they do that with the chocolates with eliza too like she is yeah. very much just like an animal yeah. she's or, being reinforced with treats or like another fake out is when they're congratulating each other and he's like i couldn't have done it without you and yeah yeah another dude good for you pickering <laughs> yeah. i do like pickering he's kind of the leavening uh force yeah, he's in there nice guy at least he's the one who wants him to be nice even though he never like, successfully hey, can sells you, it like treat her like a human What's new, Poppycock, dear boy? Oh, okay. All right. All right. Well, I tried. Very well. Cheers. What, what? Mustache. Yeah. Um, he didn't have a mustache, did he? No. Wait, did he? He had the energy of a mustache. He had the energy of a mustache. I think he, I think he did. He just didn't have any hair up here. Definitely. That actor's name is Wilfred Hyde White, which is the most Whoa. beautifully British Whoa. name. Oh. Yeah. And just to bring it back to what you were saying in the beginning, how if Audrey Hepburn's not in the scene, mm-hmm. I think all of Alfred P. Doolittle is amazing. Yes, it's I, as a supporting role. I love that because it's something that really doesn't add anything to the narrative at all. You could cut Alfred from the movie entirely and not uh. not lose any of the of the plot, but he adds so much color and life. Yeah, uh, and I don't know. Stanley Holloway is uh, he's kind of an old timey like broad, vaudevillian actor, and he's mm-hmm. really fun. Yeah, I dug their relationship like yeah. throughout. I was like, I liked their mutual. Not necessarily respect, but like understanding of each other and all the conversations that they had, I thought were pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't expect him to be anything other than what he is, but mm-hmm. she's also not going to take his shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is what I wanted to see more of with yeah. her interactions with Henry. Like, I wanted to see that take no shit kind of attitude with this new father figure type. Yeah, but mm-hmm. she she knew her dad. Right. Like, yeah. 
And it was her class, and that was something she was used to. And he was kind of like no good, you know. He was kind of a loser, so it's it's easier for her to pick on him because he's so obviously uh, lazy. Well, he revels and, in it. He revels. He's proud of being a lazy. He'll bum. only take five dollars, not ten dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not selfish. Yeah, <laughs> I do love his little uh, ankle tap dancing thing where he just leans up, pulls up the ankles of his pants, goes for a little bit. Oh, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Also, I think it's hilarious, like, I mean, we didn't really comment on Rex Harrison's singing, but he does sing-talking. Because he tried. Yeah. He took lessons and lessons and Ooh. lessons, and they're like, oh, no. Oh. No, you can't do that. <laughs> Sing-talk still. They so he just like dubbed them? Like, that's what they, I was thinking. Like, okay, why had, didn't you dub? You had to dub the yeah. Audrey Hepburn. Because... I read he had, like, the first ever, like, wireless mic. Yes. Oh, in, yeah, his, yeah. in his tie. Mm-hmm. And because he was actually singing and recording... Be everybody else being dubbed or lip synced over, yeah. they had to change his vocals, like his track, to make it not match his lips as much. Yeah. Because everybody else's were off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is yeah. kind of cool. You can notice, like, some of the beats are off when he sings too, or like when he speaks. And uh, the sound team won an Oscar for that innovation, by the way. Wow. Yeah, they used the wireless mic under his tie. Huh. So yeah, it was a very cool I looked workaround. For it. I didn't even see it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they covered it very well. So. Do we have anything else about My Fair Lady? We've we've yammered a bit. No, but I want to watch um, Doctor Doolittle now. You want to watch Doctor mm-hmm. Doolittle? Yeah, because that's that actually Liza P. Doolittle, Rex Harrison, Doctor Doolittle. Doolittle, Rex Harrison again. Yeah. I have it on VHS. We should watch it. It's like a three-hour movie. We just we just watched a three-hour. We watched movie. a three-hour good movie. Uh, it's a good movie. It's a good I don't movie. know what you're talking about. Would you rather watch Eddie Murphy? In which? In the Doc- Dr. Doolittle? Yeah. Probably, actually. No, I probably would. It's shorter. <laughs> I'm sure it's There's still There's no awesome. pink snails. I would, I, I would almost rather watch the Robert Downey Jr. one where he pulls oh, a bagpipe out of a dragon. Did you wait? Has that already happened? No, yet? I haven't seen it yet. That's, it that, happened that, that came out in January. Times. Oh god! Yeah, like years and years ago. I feel bad for him. It's supposed to be ridiculously bad, so yeah. I kind of want to watch it. I'm but. sure he did it on purpose, right, Robert Downey Jr.? Sure. No, I, I probably, Robert Downey Jr. If you're listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he'd probably listen. I mean, yeah, why not? Why not? Well, thank you so much, everybody, for being here, Lindsay. Thank you for being here, being wait, our first guest. Wait, do we need to rank this? Oh, yeah, do we, we do need to rank this. All right, so far, our list includes uh, at the top, In Cold Blood. Mm-hmm. Second after that is Unchien Andalou. Mm-hmm. Third after that is uh, JFK. Mm-hmm. And then this and one, where's that going? Uh, that, for me, is going to go right above JFK. Okay, yeah, so I like second. This, I, will, I will say I like this more than JFK. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm doing the same. I'm doing the same. Oh, our lists I are going to remain. Finally submerged. Uh, no, oh no. I, our our lists are going to stay a little samey for now. But you can check out our lists over at Letterboxd. Uh, our our uh, account is Roger uh, Rogers List Pod at Letterboxd. So go check that out. Lindsay, thank you again for being our guest. We love having you. Thank yeah. you for having me. Uh, Mika- I like talking. Michaela, what are we doing next week, do you think? Oh, my gosh. Oh, oh There's so many to choose there's from. There's so many I, to choose from. We wouldn't be doing one directed by a woman, would we? No, not oh. quite yet. Not quite yet. There's only four Never of those. Will. We are going to be doing a classic silent film and a classic science fiction film, <gasps> Fritz Lang's Metropolis. So a movie I've only seen once a long time ago. I'm excited to revisit it. Do they even have the entire thing? I thought there was only pieces. 
Uh, no, they they found they they've edited together. There are several different cuts okay. in this movie, so okay. there, there's enough footage for a few different. I movies. took a class in college. I know something. Nice, nice, <laughs> nice, nice, baby. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much. Uh, for tuning in, we're rogerslistpod at gmail.com if you want to email us. That's also our Twitter handle. That's also our letterbox handle. And um, anything else, Michaela? Uh, oh, follow me on Letterbox. Yeah, do it. Michaela Tian Lee, T-I-A-N-L-I. Michaela spelled M-I-K-A-Y-L-A. I don't know why I did that backwards. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah follow me on Letterbox. I watch movies every day. She sure does. She sure <laughs> does. All right. And, and just one last thing for the ladies. I have often walked down the street before, but the pavement always stayed beneath my feet before. All at once am I several stories high. I lost my voice. Ah, there we go. Fuck it. Ah, bye, everybody. Yay. I could-